Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Yehopitzville. Um, we uh, really love doing this podcast, and we're, we're getting some feedback now, which is the most important part. Uh, so we got one from uh, a gentleman named Mickey Gross. I, I'll read a bit of it to you, and then uh, we'll keep going. Uh, I'm Jewish and have lived in Guelph for the past 10 years. Caught the podcast by Ralph Benmergi interviewing Disgusting Jewish Renewal with Gabriel Strauss and the first step on Gabriel's journey to find development, to find and develop an appropriate community under the heading Yehopitzville. But as a Jew living in Guelph for the last 10 years, it was painful to hear the Guelph Jewish community described in what seemed to me disrespectful way. It was dismissed by the two people who were trained in Jewish renewal. I think this was a needless cheap shot at a small Jewish community in flux. Disappointed, deeply, very highly unnecessary tonality, respectfully, Mickey Gross. Well, I think the only thing to do is find Mickey and say hello. Mickey, hello. How are you? Hello there. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you so much. How does it feel hearing that letter? It, it feels, um, first of all, it feels like you heard me, uh, which is probably the, the only thing that I really wanted to uh, let you know, because I understand your point of view in trying to uh, introduce something new into something existing. So, uh, uh, But I, I guess from my perspective, it also kind of reconfirms that the people in the larger communities, like in Toronto, Montreal, uh, and other uh, places feel like that's the, the, the only uh, place to really um, uh, practice Judaism is in the big town and nothing else exists out of the big cities. Yeah, and I guess I'm, what I'm trying to do, and I didn't mean to be disrespectful, what I'm trying to do is point out that indeed that's true, that Jewish life exists in all kinds of uh, places in Canada. Tell me a, a bit about your experience of Jewish life in Guelph then. So um, I, I came here 10 years ago. Uh, this was like 2011, right? Mm-hmm. So so uh, we still had, so there is there at that time there was only one synagogue, Beth Isaiah, uh, uh, um, Guelph uh, Chabad had just started to uh, come online because they they were kind of brought in because there's a significant Jewish uh, student population in the University of Guelph. So 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 uh, the uh, as 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 you said in your podcast about Moncton, mm-hmm. which actually almost reflected. So so if I, if I can use your podcast, it actually reflected what what Guelph was going through. Right, right. You know, it was so, so in effect, if you had put the, the, the two podcasts together, <laughs> you, you would have had a perfect egg, egg, egg symbolically, if you follow. Yeah, I follow. So for you, can't, Guelph has been a rewarding Jewish experience. Am I right? Well, I, I'm uh, so, 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 you know, you know, uh, Ralph, I, I have a friend here who said that if you don't belly up to the bar and if you don't participate, then, then you won't you won't have a, a, any kind of experience. So the fact about walking into any any place where you're expecting to be uh, entertained or you're expecting to kind of get connected uh, it won't happen. So uh, I have a, I belong to three different synagogues, including uh, or including the traditional. I don't even use Orthodox anymore because what what you have is traditional, conservative, and Reconstructionist. And you belong to all three. I belong to all three. So you've bellied up to the bar. I, well, I, I mean, so so I come from Kishvarda, where I still, I still when I lead services at Beth Shalom, because uh, yeah. I, I am a member of Beth Shalom remotely, uh-huh. what I hear is Kishvarda in me. It's my dad, right? Right. 
so so I hear that prayer in me. So so I I, I share that with other people. So in sharing that, that is what extracts the the kavanah. The that intention. To, yeah. th that's right. The, the the how how you feel about it because prayer is about feeling, right? Yeah. So. If you were going to describe the Guelph Jewish community to somebody, a Jewish person who was thinking of moving to Guelph, which I did at a certain point, Guelph or Hamilton, I had to choose. What would you say would be the best part of Jewish life in Guelph? Well, so right now, I would suggest that right now it's in flux. It, 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 it resembles Moncton, except that there is a uh, as Gabrielle mentioned, and in fact, he was accurate when he mentioned that there was this woman who had very excellent musical skills. Her name happens to be Maya Hammer, who's the co-president of Beth Isaiah. Mm -hmm. so, so, now, so now I would most say that, it, that Jewish life right now is in a state of flux. I'm trying to kind of have some uh, more liberal element into it and more, re uh, more reflective of the Jewish community that exists, that can, ex that is existing or existed right, right. outside of the, out of the traditional, traditional idea yeah. synagogue. All right. Well, listen, I in no way meant to offend you. I'm so happy you actually wrote to us. And even in your, I'm sure it wasn't easy to say, you know, I'm really disappointed in what you did. I could still feel the kindness inside you while you were doing it. So, but know that I, you know, Michael and I took it to heart that you uh, you were engaging in, in the show. And you know what? We'll come back and we'll do a show on Guelph. How's that? Oh, that, that would be that would be tremendous, Ralph. All right, Mickey. Thank you for getting in touch with us and thank you for doing this with me today. I really appreciated your input, okay? Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. This podcast that I'm going to do today is interesting uh, for me, obviously, because I grew up in it. This is about the community I grew up in from grade three to first year university, which was in Forest Hill in Toronto. And it was kind of an odd experience for me because I wasn't like all the other Jewish kids at Forest Hill. And believe me, at the time, 97% of the student population was Jewish. All the Jewish holidays in a public school were uh, taken by us. We did not go to school. Nobody expected us to be there. Uh, and it was a really wonderful experience, but I was the Sephardic kid and they were all the Ashkenazi kids. Many of them had been there for three generations. We were brand new immigrants from Morocco. So there was always that, um, but it was a well-to-do neighborhood. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I lived on the last street in Forest Hill, what was called Lyons Avenue at the time, which is now Marley Avenue. Uh, there was no Spadina Expressway when I when I was a little kid in grade three, going to Beth Shalom Hebrew School. Um, but I got to know the kids and I got to love all these people. Uh, I'm still good friends with a whole bunch of people from my old high school and my old public school. So it's a wonderful experience. In this particular case, I want to talk to three people who I grew up with, uh, who decided not to stay in the cocoon, you know, the cocoon of Toronto and its hundred and almost ninety thousand Jewish souls. Um, they just decided their path was different at different times. Mike Rosen's in Cantley, Quebec. 
the Gatineau on the other side of Ottawa. Camelia Freiberg uh, is a film producer and now organic farmer. And uh, she's, I think, going to open a restaurant. She's in Baker Settlement, Nova Scotia. And Warren Waxer, who I haven't spoken to in ages, lives in Jasper, Alberta. And they are going to join me now. Hi everybody, how you doing? Yeah. Good. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. I mean, it's it's a bit trippy to see people you went to high school with. Warren, I haven't seen you in I don't know how many years, but yeah. um, the essence is is the same when I start talking to any of you. Um, I, I, let me try to figure this out because I've 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 never made that move to 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 go someplace where there was no Jewish influence uh, whatsoever. So Warren, uh, what took you to Jasper in the first place? Uh, summer jobs. Yeah, while well, I was going to university. After a bit of ski bombing after high school, I knew something about the area. But then, uh, yeah, summer jobs while I was going to university. I thought, geez, they'll pay me to drive a bus around the mountains and tell people all about it. Uh, even though I'm from Toronto, that's fine. If they're good with it, I'm good with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then uh, just never left. Uh gave up the bus driving and joined the railway and 35 years later retired from the railway. Yeah, it just, uh, I sort of fell in love with Jasper and uh, never really thought twice about it. Hmm. And Camelia, when you, uh, you spent a lot of your uh, life and career in Toronto, uh, uh, producing uh, feature films and documentaries. And, uh, but there was there a time when you just decided I can't do this here anymore. I've got to go somewhere else. Yeah, I think it just came when my son was about a year old, not even a year old. And I just felt like this was not how I wanted to raise children or where I wanted to raise children. And I'd always had that kind of hippie thing about me, I guess. So I always enjoyed being, you know, in the country a lot. And I always grew food in my backyard. And I spent as much time at my parents' cottage as I possibly could. So I just um, first started looking in British Columbia, which was unbelievably unaffordable, and so landed on the opposite coast, which was a lot more affordable. How big is the town you live in? Oh, I don't live anywhere near a town. I'm 12, 15 minute drive to the closest town. So just complete countryside. Yeah. And it, do you have a, a working farm in any way? or is it- Yeah, we, we've been a working farm. I go to farmers markets and sell produce. I've run CSAs where people get their weekly vegetables. And right now my new project is that we're, we're taking a hundred year old uh, general store and kind of reviving it. And um, so we'll have both a restaurant cafe and sort of farmers market general store. And what happened to that film career? Well, it's it sort of, I continue to make films once I landed here and I was making feature films for a number of years. And then I don't know if you remember this, but the Nova Scotia government kind of gutted the film tax credit. And um, so that more or less was the end of it until not too long ago, a couple of years back, I produced a feature documentary called Modified because it was sort of a, a marriage of my interest in the film world and in the food world. Hmm. And Michael, you... Uh many years ago, uh, went up and uh, did Tree Canada. Uh, and 
I guess the work is in Ottawa, but your heart was across the river in, in, in Quebec, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, my story was uh, like Warren. I, I had a great summer job uh, working in Ottawa as a, well, I was a, for, I went to forestry school, right? Remember that, Ralph? I do. Uh, yeah. Trent, didn't you go to Trent or, or U of T? I went to Trent first. I got right. a degree in history and then took a year off, cut firewood on a professor's uh, farm near Peterborough. And then I uh, enrolled in forestry at U of T. So I graduated from forestry. So, but uh, when I was doing my summer work, it was always in um, Ottawa, uh, looking after elms for uh, Dutch elm disease at that time. And, um, but I lived on the Quebec side and I really liked the Ottawa area. I liked the, the Ontario, Quebec, English, French. I liked that whole scene. So um, when I graduated from forestry school in the early eighties, I realized that obviously if you go to forestry school, you're probably not going to live in a city. I mean, uh, call me crazy, but anyways, <laughs> so I, I had in my mind, I worked up North for a while, Cochrane, Ontario, actually right after, uh, right after university. And then, um, I made my way down south. I was working with the Ministry of Natural Resources and eventually, so I did half my career with the provincial government of Ontario. And then the other half was with a charity that you named uh, Tree Canada. I became the president of that. So, but what I, what I did in my career was that I managed to, with the Ministry of Natural Resources, as a matter of fact, get back to the Ottawa area. And then I was looking for a home, I remember. I wanted something uh, with more than an acre if possible. Uh, French language school because I had married at that point. My wife is francophone, and I wanted French language school, and then an in-law apartment. Believe it or not, for my in-laws because they were going to come down from Northern Ontario. So putting those three things together put me squarely on the Quebec side, and um, and so that's where I ended up, Cantley, Quebec, about 25 kilometers north of Ottawa. So one of the things I'm interested in is, um, you know, you all grew up in. Uh, you know, a well-to-do neighborhood with professional parents, uh, with good incomes and all that, and expectations that you were probably going to stay in Toronto, that you were probably going to have highly professional careers and all that, uh, in terms of, you know, the usual cliches of the doctor, the lawyer, and all the rest. Um, but you didn't do that. Uh, in one way or another, you, you cut your own path. But where is the Judaism in you at this point in time? I, I don't know how alive or asleep it was when you were in Toronto, in Forest Hill. But Warren, like for you, if, if, do you identify yourself as a Jewish person? And if you do, how do you connect in a place like Jasper to that reality? Well, I, I guess I do uh, from my past. Um, you know, when I became a young adult and while I was still in Ontario, I wasn't going to synagogue on any regular basis. But um when you're raised Jewish, I don't know if you can totally, uh, you know, separate yourself from it. But obviously, there was no reinforcement when I came to Jasper. So it became a cultural thing, um, you know, celebrating Passover and uh, answering questions from non-Jews who thought I was some expert on Judaism. So you, you learn a bit. I, I, did a, I, I did a lot of, hey, listen, I'll get back to you. You know, different rabbis interpreted different ways. Let me just get you the right answer. I'll call you tomorrow, you know. I'll continue <laughs> but, my Talmudic studies, yes. Yeah. Well, who's got the dog? Who's got the dog? I've got two of them. 
I can <laughs> let me close the window. That might help. Well, we'll see. All right. So, so Warren, you, yeah. So for you, it became this. In crude terms, you become the town Jew. If there's somebody <laughs> yeah. who has a, a Jew question, you're the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, and it's interesting because. <clears throat> People I worked with on the railway, people I met through various groups I was involved with, would just, you know, find, oh, I hear you're Jewish, you know, almost in a hushed tone. <laughs> and uh, and then ask, uh, you know, some question. I always wondered, and some really obscure kosher laws, like, okay, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> or this one lady who used to come up on a regular basis, because she was uh, Christian and had done a... Um, trip to Israel and was just fascinated by it all and wanted, you know, to know what I knew about <clears throat> Israel, which was next to nothing. Um, but, you know, this was a re every time I saw her. And you're right. It, you sort of become the town Jew in that way. And, you know, 99% of the time it was positive other than the odd remark, you know, like joke about the old Jewish uh, piano when someone was ringing up the cash register and stuff. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. right. But, yeah. You know, I remember when I went to University of Alberta in the mid-70s, and I was literally the first Jewish person that, that, that a lot of the other students had met in Alberta. They had never really met one, yeah. uh, especially in northern Alberta. They'd never met them. In Calgary, there were more Jews, but it, it was kind of a weird responsibility. So you have three kids. Do they... Have any yeah. Jewish sense to them, or do you care? Um, I, I do care, uh, but, you know, obviously um, bar mitzvahs, but mitzvahs weren't really an option. Um, they still laugh about the time during one of the teacher strikes in Alberta that I started teaching them Hebrew. Did you record any of those lessons? I'd really like to see those lessons. <laughs> I think they'd be fascinating. <laughs> they were so happy when the teachers settled and came back to work. But, <laughs> but anyways, and yeah, you know, just the, um, the Hanukkah and the Passover celebrations we do, they can say the blessing over the wine and the candles by heart. So I feel I've done something. It's a yeshiva <laughs> education, as far as I can see. Yeah. Um, Camelia, uh, for you, uh, last time I saw you in person, we were together at a Passover Seder at David Bookbinder, uh, his house, which was a lovely Seder. You know, it was, usually Seders are all mixed up with family, and my mother's always glaring at me while we're doing it because I've done something wrong at that point. But we just got to sit and have a wonderful time. W what should Judaism mean to you now? where you live now and how you live now? It actually still means an awful lot to me. And um, strangely, I managed to make it, at least to some degree, make a difference in my children's lives too. They both had barn mitzvahs in the barn. <laughs> um, and we celebrated at the local community center and here at the farm. Um, you know, we would often go back to Toronto for the uh, when one could still do such things as travel. We used to always go back for the high holidays to be with my family. Um, and then my kids went to a very small rural Waldorf school. And I found that there was this sort of strange kind of proto-Christian thing going on there that I wasn't entirely 
sure that I felt 100% about. And I said to them, well, if you're going to do that stuff, like Advent spirals and Michaelmas, how about we do Hanukkah and Passover? And they said, yeah, bring it on. So every year, even now, we still celebrate um, a lot of the Jewish holidays at the Waldorf School, which has been great because there's been now a couple generations of kids who've been exposed to, you know, Jewish holidays through there. Um, and for me personally, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm about to open this restaurant with a, in fact, Sephardic uh, uh, menu. <laughs> um, I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I still feel as attached to my sense of my own Judaism as I did even when I was living in Toronto. Hmm, that's interesting. So you set up a an infrastructure in which you can still contribute from a Jewish perspective to your community. Yeah, I mean, you know, you couldn't really call a minion together here unless you included everybody's two border collies, you know. So <laughs> you really have to stretch it a little bit. But nonetheless, we have gatherings. Like we did have a Passover Seder here and we have a Muslim friend and we have, you know, not too many other Jewish friends, but some. And so, you know, we still pull things together. Hmm, interesting. And Michael, yes. when, when you're, I mean, you have proximity to the major urban center in, in Ottawa, so yeah. which has its own Jewish community. My All my siblings and my mother live in Ottawa. So, uh, you know, I'm aware of it. It's, it's not Toronto, but it, it certainly has its population. Do you connect to that? Or did, was your life really about being on the Quebec side and being in that kind of multilingual environment? Well, I I mean, I live on the Quebec side, but you know, the area is so integrated with the Ontario side. So I was I was in Ottawa every day. I was I was working in Ottawa every day until, you know, until pandemic and my uh, my retirement. So I, I had a lot to do with Ottawa. So actually there's two things I can talk to about Ottawa and the Jewish community. And one was at the age of about nine or ten, my daughter said uh, Dad, I want to know more about being Jewish. I'd like to. I like to know more, and I want you. I, I want to know more about being Jewish. So I said, okay. I said I thought about. It. I said, you know, I could try to teach you, but you're not going to get a lot of. It's it's not really worth your. It's it's you're not going to let it go. You're not going to get a lot of bang for your buck with me. So what I suggest, and I I. Uh, kind of looked around Ottawa and I found that there was a school called Ottawa Modern Jewish School and it was just it was perfect like the philosophy and all that was just perfect for for us and our family so I said to my daughter you know if you want like I'll take you in it was every every Sunday I'll uh, it was it was a religious school is what it was so mm. it wasn't affiliated with any synagogue so I said and the, and they're very progressive and the whole bit so uh, I said, if you want, and it was about a 45, 50 minute trip in. So I said, you know, I'll, I'll take you in and, you know, you can, and she, and I did that for a few years. And let she, me ask you this though. What, yeah. what, what do you think prompted her to ask that, to, to say, dad, I want to know more about being Jewish? Well, I think, you know, I, we, she's pretty close to the, the rest of the family. And she saw, you know, they were all in Toronto. Like I was the guy who left. Well, we all are the people, I guess, that left the big city and went to the, the small town. But, um, you know, I think I think in talking with my uh, with my other relatives, she saw that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, being Jewish for them wasn't so much of an effort. Right. Like it just seemed like, you know, they could naturally, you know, they all could hang out together. And she was the only Jew she knew at school. She was in fact that, you know, she was 
she was the, the only Jew, and my son was the only Jew in school, um, elementary school, secondary school, you know, so they had to, you know, they, and they had to constantly, I guess, explain what it is to be Jewish. And they, I think for my daughter at age nine or 10, she thought to herself, you know what, I don't really know that much about this. Like there's some prayers and there's, there's this Hanukkah thing. And, you know, so she, she wanted to know more. So she, and she, she loved it. She did really good. I mean, all the other kids were like, you couldn't believe that she actually asked to be there. You know, it was kind of like, a, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, you know, like, you, like she kind of stood out in the class that way. It's like the rest of them are doing God knows what. And she's like actually listening and trying to speak Yiddish and stuff like this. And they thought she that they thought that was, she was crazy, but. Um, it's funny. It's funny how the, how our kids find their own compass you know, whatever oh, yeah. we're doing, they'll come back in some way with, you know, I identify like my, my boys will identify with being my older boys with being Moroccan. And yet they've grown up here. They've, they've never been to Morocco, but they want that yeah. sense of identity. Camelia, yeah. when, when, he, when Mike was talking just now uh, about her, the, the only Jewish kid at school, you were nodding. What? what yeah, absolutely. More. Both of my kids went through that. I mean, after the Waldorf school, where they were accepted as Jews and all the other kids happily celebrated all those Jewish holidays with us and thought like, great, one more reason to celebrate. But then they got into the public school system where they were the only Jewish kids. And it was pretty uncomfortable, especially my son felt it. And so he didn't kind of come out as a Jew until grade 11. Hmm. And it was after um, he went on March of the living yeah. and um, that, you know, for whatever reason, that was like a little bit of a transition for him in terms of being able to kind of be more vocal and comfortable as a Jew. At the same time, you know, he's definitely an atheist and feels religion is a source of all evil in the world and et cetera. But at least with his own identity, accepting that that was, you know, kind of where he was from became easier for him after that. It became his evil. <laughs> he got to own the evil yeah. Warren with you with your kids like did they feel Jewish when it yeah, when it came I, to the Jasper realities yes definitely like I can't count how many times our menorah left the house to go to the public school as an artifact right. um and you know and so either they talked about it with their friends or their teachers knew through the adult connections that we were a somewhat Jewish family. And so they were constantly approached, you know, how do you celebrate this? Why do you do it? And uh, yeah, so, you know, that <laughs> menorah left, even for the Festival of Trees, which is a Christmas tree celebration, they have at the museum that I'm involved in and you decorate a tree and they auction it off as a fundraiser. They had a little section on the tradition of Hanukkah. So all my artifacts went out again and, uh, yeah, so, you know, they identify as much as they can with being one of the Jewish families in town. We're not the only one, but um, we were for a while pretty well. Do you find yourself connecting to the other Jewish family in town, or is it just coincidental? Uh, we're not close friends, but yeah, we're, we're friends, yeah. And we have celebrated Passover together with the one family, and, you know, share gossip about things uh, with the other. And then there's a few guest stars that come and go, you know, because <laughs> Jasper's a pretty, pretty transient town. And um, guest so, stars. Cameo yeah. appearance by. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, and we, Abe Libowitz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to We've the stage. <laughs> either, 
you know, because we knew ahead of time, we invite them over to our family Passover because they were, you know, basically alone in Jasper and only here for the ski season or whatever. And um, other times we found out after the fact, oh, we would have had you over. We didn't know. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah um, we've done a couple mass Passovers at the United Church in town. Hmm. One about three years ago, one about uh, 10 years ago. And uh, so I was leading the whole uh, Seder. And afterwards, this gal who came in that I'd heard there was this gal who worked at Jasper Park Lodge, who was Jewish. And afterwards, she came to me and said, I'm sorry you didn't ask me to help. I actually know Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me. You could have interrupted. At any point in the Haggadah, you could have interrupted. I, he had a hat. Uh, Rosen, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Rosen, you had, you had something you yeah. wanted to say? Yeah, I just want to say, Ralph, I was really, that's a great story, Warren. I got, I'll remember <laughs> that one for a while. Um, but I was really lucky in that I actually have like a distant cousin that lives in Ottawa. And she's from Montreal originally on my dad's side. My whole dad's side, basically my dad's aunts and uncles all went to Montreal. My dad somehow, his parents ended up in Toronto. So he's the only one in that family that's from Toronto all the rest are from Montreal anyways I found that made a heck of a difference because she in, in in with regards to Passover especially Passover because honestly until her I didn't really have that many Jewish people to invite you know it was always kind of like welcome to you know I felt like I was on show and you know I could speak Hebrew and nobody would know the difference, you know, uh, right, and, uh, right. and all that stuff. But honestly, finding this, uh, my, my cousin Marla in Ottawa, that was a, that was, that was a game changer because now every Seder, we either go to their place or they come here and it's really, really nice. It made a, it made a big difference and it made a difference, I think, to our kids too, that they knew that there was someone actually in the family, some other Jewish person in the area kind of uh, made a big difference anyway. Yeah. It's interesting to me because there have been times where I've thought of moving to different parts of the country. And one of the things I've considered is, is there any Jewish life in that place? And yet what I find with some of the people I'm talking to on Yehopitzville is that they take their own version, whatever it was, of their Judaism to where they go. And if somebody was basically, you know, reform, holy blossom kind of Jewish, where you went for high holidays, that's what they took with them. Uh, but your kids can change the the geography of, of what it is to be Jewish for you, too, because they, I don't know about you guys, but with my children, I've always felt like, especially in their younger years, they want to identify with something. They want to belong. They don't want to be the one who isn't part of things. And, and yet, if you're encouraging their Judaism in Jasper, then, you know, they have to figure out, do I really want to stand out? Or do I want to fit in? And then you're left with it. I don't know. Thoughts from anyone on that kind of an idea? Dead silence. <laughs> Camelia, your brain is moving. I can I can feel the steam. Well, I I mean, it is interesting to think about the difficulties that my kids have had, especially my son, I think, in self-identifying as Jewish. Um, and, of course, that would have been different if he'd been in a place where there were you know, many other Jews, but when you're at a public school and there's 600 other students and you are the only Jew, that could be uncomfortable. And I understand that. Um, you know, and <laughs> it's funny because people out here, when we went to buy this property and we were talking to the woman 
who had owned the farm. She'd grown up on this hilltop and her family had been here for a long time. And I said something about being Jewish. She was a very good Christian woman. And she said, oh my, now that's interesting. <laughs> and then she, I said, so uh, do you know any other people? She says, well, and you know, there's actually a very quite old Lebanese community in yeah. this area. So she starts to name the Lebanese people and says, well, I guess I do. I know. And she, you know, it's like, you know what? It's not a Jew, but that's okay. <laughs> they're, they're swarthy. They're Semitic, whatever. It's close enough. <laughs> you know, it's different. It's not Christian. Right. Yeah. And, and I realized like there was just no context for understanding what we were out here. Um, so, you know, you kind of had to create your own understanding of who you, what it means to be Jewish. And, you know, undoubtedly that understanding for my kids has been very influenced by returning to Toronto for high holidays and by celebrating in our, you know, own somewhat paganistic way, the holidays through the Waldorf school um, and whatever we brought into the household, uh, you know. Yeah. It must be um, like for the, for the kids of all of you to, to go to Toronto, that would be the thing. I mean, when I left Toronto, I didn't realize how, easily I could move in a Jewish river of, of 190,000 Jews in Toronto and not have to think, go to United Dairy, go, you know, just uh, Steve Pulver, a comic used to have a bit where he'd say, he'd look in the audience and go, you, you Jewish, where, where are you from? Bathurst and where? <laughs> and that was, you know, his way of saying, this is just the total, co you can stay inside it and not have to think about it. You can even let other people do the heavy lifting for you and not have to think about it. But when it's a personal responsibility to say, do I keep this or is it just sort of become this thing over on the shelf? So Warren, for you personally, do you keep it? Do you, is it important to you or is it as the years have gone on and the decades go on, do you just think, no, I'm Warren and I live in Jasper and I'm not religious and I happen to have been Jewish. No, I think I think I keep a lot of it. You know, it's it's at your core. But yeah, the the day to day formality. No, do I stay kosher? No, I haven't ever tried really, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it would be quite difficult to um, practice it in any great to any great extent without running into Edmonton on a regular basis. So yeah, and I think as you say. Um, when you're in Toronto, everything's around you. You don't have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. When you're here, if you're the town Jew, you think about it a little bit. And um, you do try and, you know, um, at least be a good representation of uh, the culture and the religion. Because it's a lot of people's first experience with a Jewish pe person. And I couldn't believe how many people that I worked with on the railway. And a lot of them, I realized, came from rural Canada, small town Canada. Not everyone was born in Jasper, obviously. And they really hadn't met a Jew. Or as this one elderly gentleman I worked with on the railway used to say, whatever place in Saskatchewan he came from, yeah, Abe Silverstein used to have the menswear store and oh geez he was a nice guy and he'd let you run up credit and that was his experience and he came to my two satyrs and actually bummed a Haggadah off me which I never got back because he passed away and I'm not going to go to his family and ask for it back but anyways but yeah there was I think a legitimate interest and so I think that reignites the 
the Jew in you every time someone asks because it it makes you think, it makes you research, and uh, yeah, you realize, wow, there's a lot of canned out there that uh, doesn't have a Jewish community. Yeah, whether you want to or not, you're an ambassador, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like I always say to people, if I put a keeper on and walk down the street and I spit on the sidewalk as a car is going by, people go, oh, I guess Jewish people spit a lot. <laughs> Right. You're done. I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> you you now represent Judaism in some way, shape or form. Do you, uh, Michael or, or Camelia, do you feel that sometimes when people recognize you as, you know, the town Jew or the or the oh, oh a Jewish person? Do you feel a responsibility is to represent in a certain way? Oh, yeah, I think that's a big one. Uh, I think Warren's really onto something. You you really do represent the race. And your kids kind of represent, especially like my kids, they have the last name Rosen, right? So, uh, and especially my son, he's Max Rosen. So (laughs) it's really hard for him to come up to, you know, to meet a stranger and for that stranger to go, Max Rosen. Oh, yeah. Like they're, they're, you know, oh, yeah. There's a, we have a winner. We have a winner. Bing, bing, bing. So, you know, they got used, my kids got used to, and I got used to uh, that whole thing about, representing the race and it's it's kind of a it's a big deal and then i was i was ahead of an organization too so i was the president of tree canada so here i am the head of a charity it was a charity that plants trees all across canada and i'm also the only jew in the office so it just so you know there i had to just um you know, it was a bit of a dynamic there because in addition to being the boss, I was also the Jew, the, the head <laughs> Jew. So I kind of had to, you know, I just, it, it, it was uh, it was something I had to sort of deal with and, and I didn't really struggle with it. It didn't come up that much as sort of a of an issue, but it was something that, you know, was a big part of me and uh, and something that I had to definitely uh, uh, deal with as uh, in my working life. But um, yeah, representing the race, I think it's a big responsibility. You can't uh, you can't deny it. It's a it's a big deal. And you know, here we are, all of us trying to just live our lives. And we you know at the same time, though, we're the examples of the Jewish race. I mean, you know, you hope yeah, it's like it's like Warren said, Abe Silverstein. He, you know, he he gave me credit at the store, so that's what I think Jews do. They're, there you go. They're generous when they and they do uh, schmata business. That's what they yeah. do. Right. It's like, it's like the Canadian Chinese restaurant, you know, every town in Canada has one. Yeah. Camelia, do you feel that ambas- ambassadorial responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that, you know, given what I'm choosing to do now, I'll be spending a lot of time explaining what shakshuka and halava is to people for the next however many years. So, you know, like, um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, there have been other Jews, the, the guest the guest stars, as Warren says. We, we had a lovely Israeli family um, that came and lived in our community for a couple of years, like three or four years, and um, they had three young kids. And so suddenly, you know, <laughs> the Jewish population more than tripled. And that was fantastic. But, you know, it didn't last. They're, they're now in Halifax, and that's great. But we're still friendly. Um, but yeah, there's no question that you end up feeling like, um, oh, that's that's the person, right? That's the, the that's one. How Jews and do it, the thing too was, yeah. that's how Jews do things. And it, it also took a certain, you know, courage. Like I remember being in the 
line at the uh, at the supermarket with my kids when they were little and it was sort of just pre-Christmas and I had one kid probably in the shopping cart and the other like you know naggingly tagging behind and and the woman in front of me you know trying to make nice conversation was like oh what's Santa gonna get you for Christmas and uh, <laughs> maybe it was just a mood I don't know I said I, I said basically Santa doesn't visit us <laughs> you know like <laughs> we don't do Santa <laughs> did she say what I think she just and, said <laughs> yeah and, and then I realized like okay that just sounds cruel I've got to explain so like we're Jewish and we celebrate Hanukkah, so we have eight days of presents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is the other thing. You have to start competing and make right. Hanukkah, Hanukkah, a very minor holiday, has to start looking like Christmas or else you're out of the race. Absolutely. Yeah. And forget Shavuot, you know, which happens to have trees involved. And, you know, it's just crazy. Um, we're going to, so advice. If someone is thinking, and I think this is an issue for a lot of Jewish people in, in, a, in a place like Canada. Um, if someone's thinking, I want to go live over here or over there, and I'm going to know that there's no Jewish life around me. What advice would you give to those people in terms of how to handle that uh, or how, how they can benefit from it and still keep some semblance of a Jewish identity? Warren, you want to start? Well, you know, if you are stuck on the... Uh the protocol and the regular practice, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. I guess you're going to be doing it in your basement alone. But um, if it's more the cultural and uh, the spiritual side of it, I think you can do that anywhere and you make your own community. And again, you find that other people who aren't Jewish may be interested and you become, for better or for worse, a little bit of a teacher, which is kind of beneficial as opposed to going to the synagogue and have it delivered to you, you have to sort of serve it up yourself to a great extent. And if for, you know, many of us, it's the food and the uh, celebrations. Well, again, that can be done at just about anywhere. You just, when you do go into the big cities, don't forget to pick up the brisket and the matzah, because <laughs> I've learned that a couple of times. <laughs> Short story, my first uh, winter in Jasper, I ended up picking up this Jewish cookbook and said, I've got to do a Seder, you know, just a last minute thing. I've got to do it. Well, it wasn't too hard putting the gefilte fish together with Boston blue fish, Captain Highliners, frozen cod, etc. I pieced <laughs> that together. But, oh, gee, I don't have any matzah. Oh, no. Well, it's unleavened bread. That's rye vita. Same thing, rye vita crackers. It's unleavened bread. That'll work. Oh, matzo ball soup. What am I going to do? I don't have matzo. I don't have matzo meal. Ah, cornmeal. What's the difference? Cornmeal, matzo meal. So I made up the matzo ball soup and my roommate at the time, he's sipping and goes, Warren, you know, I've never had matzo ball soup in my life, but I don't think it tastes like this. <laughs> uh, Camelia, uh, for you, any advice to people who, like you, decide they're going to go and live in a rural setting and stay Jewish? I, I, yeah, I think, um, you know, the, raising the kids presents a whole other layer than just if it's you, uh, you know, as an individual. And what I found for myself as an individual um, was that, um, well, I'd been vegetarian for 30 something years and then uh, we had a really nasty rooster and 
he was delicious. So (laughs) (laughs) he deserved it. What can I say? But that was the beginning of my sort of slippery slide into the carnivorous realm. And so at first it was no holds barred. You know, we live in the land of delicious mussels, lobster, whatever. And then like after a little while, I realized, wait a sec, I don't like really want to do that. I, I am going to become essentially kosher. And um, so that's what I now am. Um, although, you know, we have sheep and, and we slaughter them. So then we don't have a shochet. So it's not exactly kosher, but, but I don't, you know, eat lobster, shellfish. I don't mix milk and meat. I don't eat pork. Like, in other words, those are all things that I kind of imposed on myself, um, somewhat belatedly, but when I decided that that was part of an identity thing that I didn't want to just let slide. And um, so I think that, you know, you find different ways to hang on to something like for a long while, I used to read Parsha of the week, you know, online and uh, you know, do things like that. I, I honestly let that slip quite a while ago. I wondered, for instance, after my dad died, how I would do Kaddish without a minion. And, you know, and then I decided like, you don't, you know, you carry it all inside. So it's like Warren said, you know, you, you find your own way to maintain the things that are the most meaningful to you. And that could be walking in the woods and that's my synagogue or working out in the garden and being amongst the bees. Uh, you know, you, you all find your own way to find the spiritual. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. A lot of the community is very like, missed though. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, you know, it's interesting that you've found your threads to, to keep your own web of Judaism alive. Because spirit, the spiritual, I, I wrote an article for the uh, CJN magazine that came out at Passover about that whole movement of spiritual, but not religious. Because I think we can, we can maintain our spirituality. Religion is a, a codified fitness program. That says if you do these things, you do these things. So you know, I, I was kosher because I was brought up that way. And being Sephardic, you don't have Reform, Conservative, Orthodox. It was like, what? These guys get to choose how do they do this? We just do it. So I grew up with that. But when I w- I'm vegetarian now, but when I was kosher, uh, when I needed to be kosher, uh, one of my kids said, "Well, what are you bothering with all this for?" And I said, "Because every day I have to make a decision: am I Jewish or not?" Do we go to the milk fork or the meat fork? So every day I have to say again, okay, I'm still Jewish. I'm doing it this way. And that helped me to keep it. So everybody has their way. Mr. Rosen, last word to you. Well, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it's based. I can't, I'm just going to repeat what uh, Camelia and uh, Warren said, but yeah, you just got to live your life. But you know, this, in other words, you have to figure out, uh, I think for the people coming to a small community, you know, you're, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to figure it out on your own type thing. And uh, you're going to have to connect with those that you can connect with. But this theme of food is a big one because I remember that um, like, I wasn't raised like me and Warren, actually, we weren't raised in at all what we would call religious, a religious uh, household, you know, or anything close to a kosher. Camelia, you weren't either, right? No, not no. Either. So I'll no. Read it, yeah. Okay. Okay. So when, uh, but, but I've got to tell you, when I buy my salami at the local IGA, 
I'm not buying pork salami, okay? I'm not buying pork. So I had to say to the guy behind, you know, and it's, I mean, Quebec, everyone's Quebecois. I'm in a community that's 85% French speaking. Thank God I learned French. Anyways, I said to the guy behind the, you know, the meat counter, you know, do you have beef salami? And he looked at me like, what planet are you from? Like, you like beef salami? Like whoever, or, and I asked for beef ribs too at the same IG. Right. Like, beef ribs, what a concept. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> beef ribs. Like it was, but finally to their credit, they got it. They actually ordered it in and, and now I can actually get it there, which is really good. So not that I'm kosher, but there's just certain things I don't go yeah. to. I just want to convey one other, another funny story that occurred to me with respect to all this Jewish and where I live in Quebec and all that, in that I'm a forester, which in itself is like not a stereotypically Jewish uh, occupation. So I get that, you know, oh, I've heard of Jewish doctors and lawyers and accountants. I never heard of a Jewish forester. So I get that a lot. So, I mean, I, not a lot, but I do get that from some people. But I moved to a, to a house where it was all surrounded by maple trees. And my dream was I can actually tap these trees. So I tap these trees uh, on my property. I have like, uh, I have a, and, and then my neighbor watched me for a lot of number of years, Kipikwa neighbor, just next to me, born and raised in Cantley. And so was his father, watched me for a number of years tapping my trees. And I always told him, you got a great property for tapping trees. You know, you got to, you know, think about it. one year out of nowhere. He says, you know what? I'd like to tap my trees. Can you come over and, and show me how it's done? I'm, I, and we can add our sap together and uh, split the syrup. And I said, perfect. Now we have 90 taps between us. But anyways, as I'm tapping his trees, I'm thinking to myself, isn't there a bit of irony in this? The Jew from Forest Hill is teaching the Quebecois how to make maple syrup. Like, it's like, I don't know. And he wasn't a city guy. He was born and raised in the country. But I just sort of sat there as I'm drilling with my drill, as I'm drilling the tree, I'm going, there's something, uh, I don't know, there's a movie in this, there's a play in this, I don't know, there's something to this, it's it's just something weird. I love that, I love that, <laughs> Rabbi H. Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's been wonderful to see you all, uh, you know, we, it's funny how you can look at people 40, 50 years after you've seen them, in some cases, and the essence of who everyone is is still perfectly intact. You know, we grow, we think we're, we're this, we're that, but there's, you know, the Warren Waxer I knew in junior high is the guy I just spoke to. <laughs> so I love that. I love all of that. I really appreciate you guys doing this with me. I was really looking forward to it. Um, this is your Hopetsville, by the way, on the CJN Podcast Network. Uh, it is executive produced by Michael Freeman. I'm Ralph Ben Mergy. If you want to get more your Hopetsville and other podcasts from CJN, just go to the cjn.ca and subscribe and uh, we'll love you for it. So uh, Camelia Freiburg in Nova Scotia, Michael Rosen in Cantley, Quebec, Warren Waxer in Jasper, Alberta. Thank you all very much for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks, Ralph. That was great.